This is Wahid Jensen, and you are listening to Away Beyond the Rainbow. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi ta'ala wabarakatuh and welcome back to Away Beyond the Rainbow, this podcast series dedicated to Muslims experiencing same-sex attractions who want to live a life true to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Islam. I'm your host Rahid Jensen and thank you for joining me in today's episode. In today's episode, we continue our series addressing the larger community. And as you remember in the previous episodes, we had a four-episode series dedicated to parents and family members of individuals who experience same-sex attractions or gender dysphoria. And today's episode is dedicated to current and potential spouses and fiancés of men and women who experience same-sex attractions or gender dysphoria. If you're listening to this episode and you belong to the target audience of this episode, then you've probably discovered your spouse or fiancé's same-sex attractions through one of the following scenarios. Maybe he or she sat down with you and told you after a long time of being married, or if you're engaged, then he or she wanted to tell you before you're officially married. Maybe you came across their search history or found particular emails or messages that gave you a hint. Maybe you discovered that they watch gay porn or caught them masturbating to it. Maybe you found out that they attend 12-step meetings or they take part in online or face-to-face support groups to help them deal with their same-sex attractions or gender dysphoria, or maybe their porn or sex addictions or what have you. Maybe you've always had an inkling, given their particular proclivities or interests in music, movies, particular events, hobbies, their circle of friends, and so on. Maybe he or she is not that intimate with you and struggles in that area. Maybe he or she is too emotionally attached to that quote-unquote one special friend that they neglect you and your needs. You may have discovered an affair with another man, or he came clean to you and and admitted that. Maybe you got an STD from that affair that you never knew about, and he was forced to admit his affair. Or he, he may have showed up one day, packed his bags, and told you and the kids that he's leaving you for another man, that he's been quote unquote living a lie, and he needs to quote unquote live out his truth. And of course, how you navigate that depends on how you both choose to move forward with this. There are different layers of complexity depending on whether or not your spouse wants to remain in the relationship or is adamant about calling it quits. If there are children involved, to what extent your spouse is willing to do the work and seek help, to what extent you are willing to do your own work and to seek help, and yes, you, and we will talk more about this in this episode, as well as, you know, what resources are available to you, and so on. The situation is clearly different between a spouse who has these attractions and has never acted upon them, or maybe did before marriage, but not while being married, versus someone who's acted upon them while being married, but is feeling remorseful and wants to make things work, versus someone who's sleeping around and doesn't care, and even when confronted with this, they're adamant about their behaviors. 
There's so much to learn about yourself and your spouse, and there's work that can be done if and when you are ready. I've prepared a couple of episodes to address this, primarily this episode, as well as the two upcoming episodes where I interview Dr. Ty Mansfield and his wife, Danielle. Ty is a man who experiences same-sex attractions and is in a mixed-orientation marriage, and he and his wife share with us lots of gems from their own individual and joint experiences. Today, we focus on understanding concepts, building foundations, and answering frequently asked questions. Whatever your situation is, and whatever context applies to you, I hope and pray that you will find these episodes helpful and eye-opening, inshallah. Last summer, we conducted an anonymous survey on the Straight Struggle Support Group, which is an online support group for men and women experiencing same-sex attractions or gender dysphoria. We have asked them many questions on what they would like to tell their family members and community. I'm going to read out the answers that they gave to the question, what would you tell your spouse if you had the chance? What do you wish they would know? One member said, and I'm quoting, that SSA is not voluntary and that acceptance and empathy is key. Support and understanding is what a person needs. The person with SSA never intended on keeping it a secret from their spouse if it weren't for our culture, traditions, and negative image that SSA has in most cultures. Another member said, I have been struggling my whole life because of my sexuality and I need your help to support me during the therapy process. A third one said, if I could, I just want to tell her that I'm willing to make it work despite my SSA. As I see marriage not for quote-unquote cure or for cover-up, I really want to build a family. I know that I need to be completely selfless if I ever get married and prioritize my spouse's well-being. Another member answered, I'm not sure I need her to know anything. I suppose it would be nice if she knew and was supportive, but I do worry that this will be something that could be misunderstood and could be brought up during conflicts. Another one said, I love you. That will never change. We connect on every level imaginable, even if I may not express it enough. I know I am not the perfect husband, but I promise I want to be. I especially appreciate your love and kindness that I have been longing for my whole life. It has helped fill a huge crater in my heart and has been a source of healing and a blessing from the most merciful. Allah chose SSA as my struggle in this life. I would love to tell you about it so we can help each other continue on this journey towards Jannah. Your support means so much to me, but I am terrified of what your rejection may do to me, so for now, It's my struggle alone. Another member answered, If I were to ever get married, I would like my spouse to know that I am fighting every single day against my desires, and it can be draining, and that all I want from you is for you to be understanding and supportive of me. And another one answered, For my potential future wife, I would like for her to know that my sexual desires do not define the extent of my ability to love. That me being attracted to men doesn't negate my capacity to be a loving husband. We all deserve to be loved and embraced and cherished, thanks to what makes us struggle the most. And finally, another member wrote in, If you discover that your spouse struggles with same-sex attractions, do not take this as a sign that he or she doesn't love you or that he or she has betrayed you. 
Know that there are usually very deep emotional and psychological wounds involved, and that your spouse has likely suffered a great deal throughout his or her life on account of them. If he or she is a sincere practicing Muslim, know that they most likely married you in good faith, desiring to build a righteous home and family with you on the basis of Allah's deen and the sunnah of his messenger As Muslims, we should not accept the gay identity paradigm that is being pushed everywhere by today's society. This is a Western cultural narrative that does not come from Islam. Do not think, my husband is gay, why did he marry me, he fooled me and lied to me. Rather, your husband is a man and is doing his best to fill his role as one, and vice versa for a woman. It can certainly come as a shock to anyone to find out that his or her spouse deals with SSA. It is normal to be angry, confused, and hurt, especially at the beginning. But before calling it quits, give yourself time to heal, then try to see things from your spouse's perspective. Know that it is a very difficult test, and if your spouse has SSA and has chosen not to act on it, then he or she is likely a very special person with some excellent qualities and high character. Probably the qualities and character that attracted you to him or her in the first place. Take time to talk through things honestly and seek help as needed to figure out the best way to move forward in your marriage. And note that this advice is for people whose spouses struggle with SSA but who do not act on it, meaning they are not running around behind their spouse's back, engaging in immoral and often risky behaviors with members of the same sex, and so on. If the spouse with SSA is doing these things, then that is a different issue, and these cases will have to be dealt with, just like other cases of infidelity. There is no free pass just because someone has SSA and says they, quote-unquote, had no other outlet, end quote. So these were the survey answers, and one can see that for many, not telling their spouse that they have SSA was not a deliberate act of deception or lying. There are layers of shame and fear of rejection attached to it. There is also an emphasis on understanding, support, kindness, and realizing that we are more than our desires, more than our attractions, and that a mixed orientation marriage has the potential to work beautifully if both sides put in the work needed to make it work, just like with every other marriage. Whether you are in the stage of shock and are looking for resources, or if you've known for a while and are seeking help now, Wherever you might be, there's so much to learn about your spouse and about yourself in the process. Of course, it's more common that you would be the wife of a man with same-sex attractions than it is for you to be the husband of a woman who experiences same-sex attractions. Obviously, the dynamics are different, but in this episode, we address all spouses regardless, and you can see what works for you given your own individual situation. In the past four episodes, my friend Adam and I discussed relevant themes for parents and families of men and women who experience same-sex attractions or gender dysphoria, and there are lots of helpful information and resources in there that I encourage you to check out. A lot of the information you need to know is already discussed there in great detail, so I would encourage you to go back and listen to these episodes. In episode 79, we talked about personal healing, which is the foundation to all of this work. Taking care of yourself, grieving, and stopping the blame and self-accusations. 
These are relevant for you, particularly if this is all fresh to you and you are in the initial stages of navigating the shock and dealing with grief. Please check out episode 79 for lots of details and helpful tips. We also talk about stepping into their world, learning about their struggles and pains, understanding their stories, and practicing unconditional love, seeking forgiveness from yourself and others, and doing your own healing work together if possible, as well as experiencing God's love and trying your best to maintain balance in your life. All of these are important in this journey. There are a lot of blessings in disguise in this trial, and you can begin to see them and experience them when you open your heart and mind to doing your own work, believe it or not. Again, all of this is discussed in detail in episode 79. Moving on, in episodes 80 and 81, we spoke about relational healing. We started with understanding the foundations and concepts related to gender development, how gender confusion develops, family dynamics, parental wounds, sibling wounds, peer wounds, abuse, and God wounds in relation to the development of same-sex attractions and gender dysphoria. And then we went into practical tips for family members. Of course, these episodes were framed from the perspective of parents and direct family members, but a lot of the information presented is helpful for spouses as well. I encourage you to make use of whatever information you find helpful, and whatever is not relevant for your case, you can just skip. And finally, in episode 82, we covered communal healing and how to use all of the knowledge presented to help others and build support systems and resources in our communities and we answered frequently asked questions on the topics presented. Again, there are lots of helpful information, tips, resources, and relevant themes that are worth checking out, inshallah. However, there are a few important distinctions worth making here that do not overlap with the advice given to parents in the previous episodes. Our advice to parents was all about practicing unconditional love, to never sever the relationship with their kids, to be there for them while setting healthy boundaries and standing firm with their values and beliefs. With spouses, it's not necessarily the same. If you are the spouse of someone who recently told you they experienced SSA, or you discovered this about them in one way or another, and they disclose this to you and explain that they need your help, they're trying their best to stay true to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Islam, that they're going to do whatever it takes to make the marriage work and to be there for you and the kids, that is a completely different situation from one where your spouse is having one affair, one affair after the other and is not willing to make changes or seek help or work on his marriage. There's a limit as to how much you can tolerate that, right? And it depends on you and your family, and of course, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. His limits and boundaries are being transgressed here, and there is dhulam, or oppression, that is taking place. Of course, nuance is important here. Otherwise, it sounds like the person with SSA, no matter what he or she has actually done, is always the victim here, right? The one who it's all about, the only one whose perspective needs to be understood and sympathized with, and so on. That can sound like special pleading or excusing people's bad choices, which go beyond the fact that they were saddled with SSA beyond their own original choice. Unfortunately, that's the narrative that we're used to nowadays. Gay exceptionalism is a thing, and if they want to go around doing whatever they want, they're living out their quote-unquote true and authentic self, and we applaud them if they leave their families and live out their quote-unquote truth. Honestly, that's a lot of bullshit, and we need to be reasonable here. 
So if your fiancé has told you because he or she wants to be honest with you before going into marriage, or if your spouse told you early on or maybe way later in the marriage, and they're seeking your support and understanding and they're willing to put in the work for personal and relational healing, as well as doing their best to make the marriage work, then I sincerely hope and pray that you find it in your heart to stay in the relationship and make things work. Because you'll not only be helping the other person, you'll be helping yourself in the process by learning so much about yourself through doing your own healing and recovery work. I'm not here to tell you what's right or what's wrong. It's ultimately your choice and no one can decide for you. We seek help from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we continue to ask him for guidance. And we seek proper therapy and counseling to help us navigate the shock and the pain and grief. But is this relationship going to work? We definitely hope so, inshallah. Especially if both of you are willing to work together, just like with every other marriage relationship out there, right? I know men and women who experience same-sex attractions who are in mixed orientation marriages, with or without kids, and who are living happy and fulfilled lives, alhamdulillah. Some got divorced for reasons that had nothing to do with their SSA, just like with any other married couple who chose to divorce for their own reasons. Some are celibate and they're hoping to get married in the future. Others are celibate and fulfilled with their own lives. Sometimes we put too much emphasis on SSA that we lose sight of the bigger picture. And sometimes we blame SSA as the one and only reason why a marriage has failed or is bound to fail. And it doesn't have to be that way. And please resist the urge to believe every story you hear from people who were in mixed orientation marriages and the spouse with SSA left the marriage to quote-unquote live his or her truth and to be with his or her partner in a quote-unquote authentic relationship. It can get demoralizing when you go down that rabbit hole, so spare yourself. Don't forget that the media amplifies these stories because there's an obvious agenda at play here. Focus on you and your spouse, and your kids if you have any, and most importantly, on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Put him front and center and move forward together with your spouse based on what you both choose, and that is what matters. Now, if your spouse is not willing to listen, they're adamant about living the lifestyle that they please, regardless of whatever damage it causes you and the kids, then boundaries have to be set. I'm not here to tell you to leave the marriage or to stay in it. Ultimately, you have to make a decision that serves you and your family, and most importantly, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But I hope that you would at least take some time to educate yourself on the topic, learn more, study, and read before you make any rash decisions. You also need to have an honest and transparent discussion with your spouse. Do they want to keep living this way? If yes, then what? If not, then how do we move on from here? Maybe invite them to listen to this podcast and join our support groups. Maybe they had no idea a quote-unquote alternative reality exists for people like them. After all, maybe that's the only thing they know. They have no idea that other options exist for them, right? Some spouses in your situation, before making any decisions on whether or not to stay or leave, they decided first to address the quote-unquote wounded parts of them and their spouse and to do the healing work together, and they postponed the decision of separation or divorce or staying in the marriage until later on when they felt they have done enough work on themselves to be able to make such a decision. Some chose to separate for a while, but still decided to hold space for the other person, especially if kids were involved. So these are some things to think about. 
What I'm trying to say from all of this is that there are so many scenarios and layers. No two situations are the same, and only you and your spouse can decide how to move forward. And frankly, sometimes you have to be the more mature one, since especially if they're in that quote-unquote honeymoon phase of being out and proud and whatever, they tend to behave immaturely, as kids really, and they would probably be resistant to any counseling or support you or anyone else may give. Take time, pray, and make dua, consult with professionals and support groups on the matter, seek help for you and your spouse, and be patient in the process. And again, don't listen to others who are a source of negativity or demoralization and noise. God knows there are tons of people like that who won't shut up. You need to set boundaries and cut the noise, and don't even think twice about it. And if you've been listening to this podcast series from early on, you've probably learned that the overwhelming majority of gay relationships do not last. If your husband is happy with another man, one or both of them are going to become tired of the other and will soon walk out the door. Promiscuity and open relationships are rampant in the gay world, and this only fuels the traumas of abandonment, inadequacy, and insecurity further. If your wife, and this is not a common scenario, but it could happen, if your wife is happy with another woman, there's probably an emotionally enmeshed and codependent relationship going on that will end up suffocating one or both of them and perpetuating even more hurt and pain. There's so much pain and trauma in the gay world that is not acknowledged, of course, and this only ends up propagating more hurt and trauma. And a final point worth mentioning here, if your spouse is sleeping around and having affairs, please get tested for STDs and make sure you're absolutely clear on that. And you have every right to refuse intercourse until he gets his act together, he's STD free himself, and he's committed to your marriage and to doing the work necessary. That's just an FYI that needs to be highlighted. Other than listening to the past few episodes and checking out the resources including in them, it's very important to establish your own support system as a spouse of someone experiencing same-sex attractions or gender dysphoria. In the episode show notes, you will find links to many support groups for you as a spouse or family member. Let me tell you briefly about them, and you can check them out at your own time and pace. We have recently opened a channel on our Straight Struggle online support group for parents, family members, and spouses of men and women who experience same-sex attractions or gender dysphoria, and we have lots of helpful conversations going on, so you're welcome to join anytime, ask questions, share your story, and and even help others if you like. Also, the organization Strong Support by Brother Ali Jafari in the UK has a support circle for spouses as well. You can register with them and join other spouses as well. In addition, Brothers Road, which is an organization founded by Rich Weiler, has lots of resources for men experiencing same-sex attractions as well as their spouses. I've had the pleasure of speaking with Rich back in episode 32, so check it out to learn more about Brothers Road and Journey into Manhood Weekends. What's interested is that they have support groups for spouses as well, and I'll add links to those in the episode description for you to check out. There are also organizations like 12-step programs, Lifestar Network, Bethesda Workshops, and others that can be helpful for you if your spouse deals with porn or sex addictions. 
In addition, I'm going to add links to Voices of Hope and North Star International. These are wonderful initiatives created by the Mormon community to help men and women who experience same-sex attractions or gender dysphoria, as well as their spouses and families. There are lots of helpful resources there. And of course, in the next two episodes, Ty Mansfield and his wife Danielle will tell us more about these, inshallah. It goes without saying that seeking support is important for you, as you will have people to speak with and get counsel from, and they'll form your support system to lean on when things get tough. You can also help others in your own shoes, so it goes both ways. There's so much healing when we are surrounded by people who know exactly what we are going through, and we can help each other navigate that territory. Of course, another venue of support is through therapy and counseling, and I definitely encourage you to seek that whenever possible. Try and find a therapist who shares your same values or at least respects your belief system and goals and can help you move in the move in the direction you choose. Seek individual therapy for you as well as couples therapy or marriage counseling to work on your marriage. Of course, the latter is a shared decision and has to come from the both of you. And as much as you might be tempted to do that, please avoid coercion, force, manipulation, ultimatums, or what have you to force your spouse to join you in therapy or work on your marriage. If it doesn't come from within, it's not going to be genuine and it won't help. So that's as far as support systems for you. What about your spouse who's experiencing same-sex attractions or gender dysphoria? There are many support systems that are available to help him or her depending on where they are in their journey and what they need. For this, I recommend you check out episodes 27 all the way to 35, particularly the ones on straight struggle and strong support. Your spouse would greatly benefit from therapy that addresses his or her deep wounds and traumas, and we've spoken about this in previous episodes, so finding an appropriate therapist to help out is important. There's also a need for same-sex mentors and healthy friendships, as well as healing work that involves parents, siblings, and friends. All of this we've spoken about in the previous two episodes, so make sure to check them out to learn more about all of this. very important component of any relationship, especially a marriage relationship, and particularly after discovering a spouse's SSA, is proper and honest communication. If you haven't had the chance to communicate with your spouse, your thoughts and feelings, to practice vulnerability, and to foster an environment of transparency without judgment, now is the time to do that. We've spoken a lot about this in the second half of episode 81, so check it out when you can. We spoke about techniques like reflective listening, practicing empathy in thoughts and empathy in feelings, techniques for conflict resolution, giving affirmations, setting boundaries, as well as learning each other's love language and using that to nourish your relationship. Of course, if you struggle with your communication, stating your needs, and setting boundaries, getting professional help like therapy and counseling or mentorship is necessary. Your therapist or counselor or mentor or support system can help you with that, inshallah. It's important to develop the ability to have honest and heart-to-heart conversations with your spouse and learn how to navigate them with proper self-regulation, empathy, and understanding. All of this is not easy and requires time and patience and hard work. Hence, it's necessary to involve a professional with you, particularly if all of this is new territory for you. 
When you have time, I encourage you to check out several episodes in the podcast that are helpful for you and your spouse. In episodes two and three, we spoke about self-compassion, shame, and vulnerability. These are important themes to learn about, whether we experience SSA or not. In episodes 7 to 12, we dive deep into the genesis of same-sex attractions or gender dysphoria and the therapeutic models, so these are helpful to learn about to gain a better understanding of where all of this comes from. Episodes 14 to 26 are dedicated to the spiritual dimension. We put things in proper spiritual perspectives as we see all of this from the lens of trials and tribulations, attachments and surrender, temptation and sin, the need for healthy and platonic same-sex love, as well as other relevant spiritual and Islamic themes. Episodes 27 to 35 are all about support systems, as I've mentioned before, and episodes 36 to 40 are about marriage, intimacy, and sex. So they're quite helpful for you to check out in this context, particularly to learn the needs of the spouse with SSA, as well as how to cultivate more intimacy in your lives and to navigate any challenges that occur in that regard. Episodes 41 all the way to 65 are all about the actual healing and recovery work. There are tons of helpful resources in there for you and your spouse to check out. And in this season, from episode 66 all the way until this episode, we talk about relevant sociopolitical themes as well as Islamic and Shari'i perspectives related to same-sex attractions and gender dysphoria, as well as topics relevant to families and the community at large. All of the episodes have written transcripts that you can find on the podcast website. That's the podcast in a nutshell, and I hope and pray that you find many answers and helpful guidance in the episodes so far, inshallah. It's normal for many spouses when they're working on their healing and recovery to put their sex life on the side and to focus on the work for the moment. That's something that you get to decide with your spouse as long as you're both on the same page. In addition, the more you do the work, the more you'll discover about your quote-unquote dance dynamics with your spouse, meaning your relationship dynamics. Maybe there's codependency going on. Maybe one or both of you are emotionally dependent on the other. Maybe one of you is the rescuer or the caretaker, and the other is attention-seeking and dependent. Realizing this helps you discover how to move forward and to develop healthy and interdependent relationship dynamics. It also needs to be pointed out that while doing the work, and particularly at initial stages, you might be overwhelmed by your spouse's constant sharing or oversharing, maybe constantly seeking help or attention and affection. You might feel that it's too much, that you're smothered and the like. That's where proper communication skills come in. You can say something like, honey, I'm happy to listen, as you know, but now I'm feeling a bit overwhelmed. Can we take a break for now until I'm ready again? Make this about you using I statements instead of accusatory you statements. Like saying you're too much or you're driving me crazy, you know, avoid saying that. State your needs clearly and set your own boundaries. If he is not making time for you, pick the right time and have a conversation about it. Say something like, honey, I realize you're doing the work and making new friends, but I feel left out a lot. We're not spending time like we used to. We need time for ourselves. How about more date nights or movie nights at home? Something like that. Also, no shaming, blaming, or accusations, because that will backfire. 
So again, proper communication skills are key and having your own support system and therapist to help you with this are important as well. And it's crucial to mention this as well. Having tough conversations, practicing proper communication skills, reading books, attending support groups and counseling, all of that requires an element of feeling safe. Safety first. If you feel safe with your spouse, you can communicate your thoughts and feelings and they can do the same. If you cannot feel safe, then pause until you can and seek help in the process. Sometimes you might be dealing with a lack of trust in your spouse and you might be asking, how do we build trust in our marriage or restore it? And something that Richard Weiler said in a webinar for spouses is very relevant here. He said, there is unconditional love but there's no unconditional trust. Meaning that trust is earned, it's not given without conditions. Trust is earned through baby steps, honest and transparent communication, by taking responsibility for one's words and behaviors, by committing to doing the work and focusing on one's family, by being honest and practicing integrity, When you start to see healthy and positive changes in the relationship dynamic, that's when you can start to regain that trust. And a therapist and your support system can help you navigate that as well. And please realize that we all make mistakes. Just because we fall doesn't doesn't mean all trust is lost and there's no way to earn it back. What matters is that we get up, we make tawbah, and we move together on the path towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? Another related theme or question is, how do we restore intimacy? Again, it happens step by step. It doesn't take place overnight. Rebuilding trust goes hand in hand with restoring intimacy. Also realize that intimacy is much more than sexual intimacy. There's emotional intimacy as well. You can cultivate intimacy through different love languages, for example. In addition, a key component, as I mentioned, to restoring trust and intimacy is feeling safe as a baseline. Once you feel safe, you can work on the other dynamics. Work on communicating how you would like to feel treasured and intimate. What you would like your spouse to tell you or do for you, for example. Ask your spouse what they need to feel treasured and intimate as well. And finally, decide together what is the kind of marriage that you both want, and not what others want from you, be they parents or extended family or friends or whoever. And your definition of marriage and relationship dynamics may change over time as long as you both are safe and feeling content with your relationship. That is what matters. Trust me on this. When you do your own work, you will realize a lot of the th- a lot of things about you and your own family, a lot of the issues that you experienced growing up that you may have had no idea about to begin with. You find out about who you truly are and your purpose in this life and how you can cultivate the best version of yourself in line with your values and purpose. A chance to get over your own ego and do your own work of healing, tazkiyah, and purification of the heart. You also get to stop the quote-unquote dance you're doing with your spouse and no longer pass it on to the next generation. In other words, you finally break the cycle of intergenerational trauma that is recycled across generations. There's healing and recovery for the both of you. Now, tell me that that's not a blessing in disguise. (music) 
In the remainder of this episode, I'm going to address frequently asked questions from spouses of men and women who experience same-sex attractions or gender dysphoria. One common question is, why didn't he tell me before marriage? Why wait until we got married? And this is more common for men with SSA, obviously, but it can apply to both men and women. As we have mentioned earlier in the episode, in the overwhelming majority of cases, particularly if the man is a decent human being, not telling was not intended as an act of manipulation or deception or lying. Some men would say something like, I didn't know that I could, right? And he was afraid of your judgment, rejection, or you thinking less of him or differently about him. Maybe he thought that marriage would solve this issue, that being sexually intimate with a spouse would solve it. And believe me, I've received a lot of emails from brothers who thought that was the quote-unquote magic cure, or they were convinced by their families or local imams that it was the magic cure. But it never is. Maybe he was afraid that if you knew, you would leave him or even tell others in his family or community, and that's something you can never undo, right? Or maybe he thought it's not a big deal, he has it under control, why bring up something that's not necessarily going to affect his relationship with you, particularly if he is attracted to you and can make the relationship work. So there are lots of reasons why he didn't share. So again, we encourage you to try and see things from his eyes, even though it's normal to feel shocked and angry or betrayed. Please process this together and communicate about it, and involve a therapist or counselor if you need to. That is highly encouraged. Another question is, particularly from wives of men with same-sex attractions, is it because of me that he's like this? Like, did his relationship with me turn him away from desiring me, and instead he started desiring men? No, honey, that's not the case. This took place way before he met you. It has nothing to do with you. If you check out the previous episodes and learn more about where same-sex attractions or gender dysphoria comes from, you'll realize that he has been dealing with deep issues for God knows how long, and it has nothing to do with you. What you can do is to actually help him realize where this might come from and help him seek proper support to deal with his issues. That's where you can be a positive influence, inshallah. Also, another point worth keeping in mind, a lot of times we end up blaming or scapegoating SSA for any and all problems in the marriage relationship, when clearly that's not fair. Marriage is hard for anyone, whether they have SSA or not. Many husbands and wives struggle with their work-life balance, their intimacy and sex lives, their desires, their friendships, their family, and so on. We're all human at the end of the day, and we have our own share of trials and tribulations. Of course, there are particular challenges that come with SSA within the context of marriage, but with proper help and guidance, these can be worked through, inshallah. So let's not blame everything on SSA. There's also this question that we've addressed in the previous episode for parents and families, but it's worth answering here again briefly, which is the question of, will change happen? You know, will my spouse change? And it's important to understand what you mean by quote-unquote change. Do you mean that their same-sex attractions are going to diminish and or their opposite-sex attractions are going to increase? That may happen or it may not happen. Instead of being too caught up in the idea of quote-unquote change, our advice is for you to refocus that question and ask yourself, what is it that really matters to my spouse and me? What matters for the both of us? Again, when you start to do the work and your spouse starts to do the work, you will start to see changes. And by changes, quote-unquote, we mean so many different things as discussed before. That could be change in behavior, meaning no longer committing homosexual acts or being enslaved to sexual desires. 
change in motivation from initial fear and shame to a love for God and desire to follow him. Change in identity, meaning no longer identifying with the gay identity and recognizing that we're Muslims, we're servants of God, we're sons and daughters, we're fathers and mothers, we're husbands and wives, we're men and women, and so on. A change in attitude from feeling quote-unquote victimized and rejected to being emotionally healed and filled with gratitude and joy. And there's also change in relationships with men and women to be able to develop healthy non-sexual relationships with those of the same sex. And most importantly, change in relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. A lot of us used to view Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as angry, uninvolved, uncaring, a negative figure. And now we see him as a loving creator. We have a very deep and connected relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So all of these are attainable outcomes, inshallah, through the grace of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And some people can achieve and have achieved changes in their homosexual orientation or their gender dysphoria. And some have achieved a state where their same-sex attractions were able to diminish significantly. Others were able to achieve a state where their opposite-sex attractions became more materialized. All of these are on a spectrum, but what matters is what we mean by change. If we are able to get to a point where we can heal our wounds, grow, recover, become more in tune with our gender identity, our own physical bodies, develop healthy friendships with members of the same sex, these are all wonderful things. So please keep all of this in mind. Don't get fixated on wanting your spouse to become quote-unquote straight or whatever. This is very reductionistic. There are so many layers attached to that. What we need to do, again, is do the work and leave it up to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for him to allow the results to manifest themselves. We all have different ways of living our lives as long as we keep Allah front and center and we dedicate our lives to him, regardless of where we are, what we do, and so on. Again, what matters is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, so please keep this in mind. And a follow-up question would be, I'm doing the work and I'm trying my best. I'm implementing all the techniques that I can. Will my efforts succeed? This is a question we addressed in the previous episode. I'm repeating it here briefly as well. We need to remember that we are taught in Islam to do the necessary work in all areas of life according to our abilities, to seek Allah's pleasure and approval, and to rest assured that Allah will take care of the results. Whether we see the fruits of our labor in this lifetime or not, that is not up to us. It's up to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So as such, the outcome that we seek in this dunya is no longer the end result, but it's but Allah's rida, his approval, his acceptance is our goal. And when we think about that, that creates a paradigm shift because everything that I work on is for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and inshallah he rewards me for it and inshallah I seek his rida and his contentment and ultimately he is the one who decides how things turn out regardless whether whether they turn out to be as we would like them to or not. We're going to be content anyway because we know that we have done our best and he takes care of everything. So keep this in mind. Our duty is to do the work for his sake, to seek his support, and then the rest is up to him. You do what is within your capacity, your capacity to love, to give attention, time, touch, and talk that we spoke about, the ability to encourage your spouse to develop healing friendships, to attend therapy, counseling, to engage in support groups and group sports, everything that is within your capacity that you can take care of, that is what you should be doing. Needless to say, the keys to success in this are patience, consistency, and a positive attitude, and tawakkul on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, constantly seeking his help in the process. Practice the wealth of skills that you will learn and have learned, and keep a positive attitude. 
Pray for Allah's intervention and guidance, and eventually, inshallah, there will be a change in your family system. It's a healing journey, not a destination. Also, it's important to remember that the responsibility for quote-unquote change is not on anyone. You don't change anyone. I don't change anybody. Nobody changes anyone. You create love, intimacy, and a safe space. We cannot individually change anyone. Only Allah changes the, the people. Remember that you can change yourself only and put your faith in Allah, do your best, and never give up. Another question is, my spouse and I are seeing a therapist and the therapist boldly said that we're never going to be happy unless we have an open marriage or we get a divorce, that my spouse with SSA is living a lie and that our marriage is a sham. If that's the case, you need to realize a few things. First of all, regardless of the therapist's values or belief system, he or she has no right to make judgments or accusations about you or your relationship. A professional therapist works with you based on your goals, value system, and what you hope to achieve. If the therapist is pro-LGBT and gay affirmative and doesn't see the value in your marriage and is encouraging your husband to have an open relationship or to get a divorce, then fire this therapist. You need to realize that the therapist is working for you and you are actually paying him or her. You have a say in this professional relationship and if you don't like where this is going, then leave this therapist and don't come back. You also have the right to report this therapist to the ethics board or the counseling services because that attitude is not professional at all. Another question is, my spouse has internalized the identity paradigm, he believes this is who he is, he is adamant about it, he's even bringing home a lot of progressive shubuhat and revisionist arguments related to Prophet Lut and his people, that Islam is okay with homosexual behaviors, etc. How do I handle that? Now, all of these are discussed in detail in episodes 69 and 70 with Brother Mubin Vayed. We spoke in detail about a lot of these revisionist arguments, and in episodes 71 and 72, when we spoke with Sheikh Mustafa Omar on a lot of the shari'i and legal perspectives surrounding that. So please make sure to check them out. And a wonderful article that's been written is Brother Mubin's article, Quranic Revisionism and the Case of Scott Kugel. Uh, this is a very important piece to be read, and Brother Mubin also speaks about it in the episodes on revisionist arguments as well. Also, a deconstruction of the identity paradigm is presented in the second half of episode 5 of this podcast, so make sure to check it out, inshallah. I hope that all of this will be helpful. Another question is, and this is relevant to both you and your spouse, how do I deal with other people's opinions and judgments, particularly family? And this is regardless of whether or not they know about your spouse's SSA. If they know, they might make assumptions or judgments every now and then, every now and then say things that hurt you or your spouse, whether they mean it or not. And if they don't know, maybe they can pass judgments or ask questions that you do not feel comfortable with, maybe pertaining to your own relationship or when you would be having kids or what have you. Whatever the situation may be, please realize that you and your spouse only are the ones responsible for and in charge of your own household. You know, his parents wants the his parents want this, my parents want that, our families demand this. No. Your parents or extended families are not the ones in this marriage, but you and your spouse are. Sit down with your spouse and decide together what you want your life to be like, how you want to raise your kids, if you have any, and how you want to move forward with this. It's no one else's business. 
Think about it. Those same people making demands or judgments would not want their own relationships to be defined or controlled by you. Then why should it be okay the other way around, right? Learn how to set boundaries respectfully and maintain them. Seek help from a counselor or therapist to help you with that as well. We also have two episodes on boundary setting, which are episodes 52 and 53, that can be helpful for you, inshallah. Be strong for your own sake and your own family's sake. And if anyone doesn't like that, then that's on them, not on you. Another question is, especially from a wife's perspective... Part of the healing and recovery work is the need to make same-sex platonic and healthy friendships and bonds. I feel insecure and sometimes get jealous by my husband seeing other men or being with them, even though I know that there is nothing sexual or intimate going on. How do I deal with that? There are a couple of things to consider. Please realize that this is important to him and that it's about him, right? Realize that part of this jealousy and uneasiness is about you that maybe he's not as available or spending as much time with you and you may want him more for yourself. So keeping this in check is key. Is it about me or about him? Or better yet, is it about the both of us in our relationship? So finding that balance is important. He has the right to have these friendships, which are healing and necessary in their own right, And you have the right to your relationship and marriage and to have your own time together. So make sure you sit down and discuss this. You have your own private time together, date nights, whatever it is that helps you both feel fulfilled individually and together. Also, the time he spends with other men doesn't have to always be outside the house, right? So maybe he does this because he doesn't want to make you uncomfortable. Try and invite his friends over for dinner, for example, or just to hang out at your house and get to know them more, and maybe become friends with their spouses if they have any. Another point that is worth keeping in mind is the fact that any healing interactions would bring you and your spouse close together. In other words, this is the litmus test. Are these friendships bringing us closer together? Are we becoming more comfortable with each other, more intimate, more trusting? calmer, you know, he's more involved with me and the kids, and so on? Or is he becoming more disconnected, distracted, and distant? If it's the latter case, then there's something unhealthy going on that needs to be discussed. You can tell whether the transformation taking place is positive or negative. Are we moving together towards the common goal, or are we moving away from it? It's a good idea to, again, involve a therapist or counselor to help you with this. And finally, it's important to remember that no change happens overnight. There's no magic pill that solves all problems. There will be mistakes, ups and downs, and it's a learning curve at the end of the day. What matters is that you work together, keep the communication open, attend to any issues that come up when they come up, and and seek help in the process. A common question is, do we have to sit together and learn everything about each other? Do I have to learn every single detail about his or her past and present? Some spouses believe that that's necessary as they'll feel safer and wouldn't be quote-unquote surprised again. But then there's the possibility that this exercise might traumatize you even further and would potentiate pain, insecurity, and paranoia in the relationship. A few things are worth mentioning here. First of all, what is your niya and intention behind this? Be honest with yourself. Is it to serve you and your ego? Is it so you can have more control over your spouse and know their every move? Is it because you want to start over and that's the only thing you know how? 
So it's important to have your intentions clear. Also, and from an Islamic perspective, whatever is in the past and whatever Allah has concealed, we have no business uncovering, especially if the person has repented sincerely, like tawbah and asuha, and has been trying to rectify his or her life. Just because something happened doesn't mean you have to open up old files, especially those that we don't know about. Again, is it is it about us or about them? Or more importantly, is Allah front and center? Or is it my nafs and ego? Now, in case you and your spouse agree that it's good to discuss things openly, particularly if you would like to know particular things to be able to help them, or maybe because you want to put your heart at ease and so on, a few recommendations would be Make sure that this is a moderated setting, meaning with a therapist, counselor, or mentor, and that it's not just the two of you, as things can get uncomfortable and difficult to deal with. Also, it doesn't have to be one session. It's preferable to have multiple sessions where these matters can be discussed in chunks. You can take your time and prepare a list of questions beforehand, like what exactly do you want to know? But be careful what you ask, as some things may be incredibly uncomfortable for the both of you, particularly if you're spouse has already made tawbah from them and kept them between him or her and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Who are we to come and pry, right? After all, we don't have to know each and every thing about our spouses, like a thousand percent of all details. If that's the case, we better take a close look in the mirror and ask ourselves what our intentions really are. Finally, I'll share something that Richard Weiler said in a webinar that he did with spouses in mixed orientation marriages, and I'll add the link to it in the episode show notes. He shared his own experience by telling his spouse, okay, you have two weeks to ask me anything, and then we close the book. And that was at the beginning of the, of the relationship. So that could be something you might consider if you need to. Another caveat that is worth highlighting here is that in the healing and recovery journey, some things will come up that haven't been spoken about in early disclosure. It doesn't mean that your spouse was hiding things from you. It just means that they were not aware of them. Maybe they were repressed memories, or they were in denial, or they just didn't feel comfortable even thinking about them, or they didn't consider them a big deal until they actually realized they were. Please realize that this is a journey. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. There is ebb and flow. There are ups and downs. We need to develop patience and resilience in the process. And please don't take things personally and rather work together moving forward. Another question is, should we tell my spouse's family, you know, or my family as in your extended family? Should we tell the kids? Again, it depends on what you both decide and why. Some people consider it no one else's business and just keep it between the husband and wife. Others choose to tell close family or friends for the sake of getting support, guidance, and mentorship. It honestly depends on how mature the other persons are, to what extent they'll be helpful, to what extent to what extent things might backfire or word spreads elsewhere. So you need to consider all of that. Now, what about your kids, particularly if they're grown up? Again, it depends. Like, why do you want to tell them in the first place? Is this going to be helpful for them or harmful? Would it be helpful for you both or will it backfire? Figure out the pros and cons here as well. Make sure you know why you are doing what you're doing, with whom, and seek counseling in the process. And of course, it goes without saying that we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for help and guidance in the process.
A common question, particularly from women, goes something like, what if my husband is no longer attracted to me and he no longer desires me, right? To this, I'll say a couple of things. Firstly, there are different types of attractions, so not all attractions or desires are sexual. Of course, sexual attraction is a major type, but there's also romantic attraction, there's physical, there's emotional, and there's aesthetic attractions, and others included other categories and classifications. They're all entirely different, and your experience or his experience may fluctuate among them. At some points you can experience sexual desire or attraction, while at other points it may become more emotional or aesthetic, for example. And the same actually goes for same-sex attractions. They're not all sexual to begin with, so keep this in mind. In addition, marriage and family are built on a lot more than just sex and bodily desires, right? What is drawing you to your spouse and vice versa? What is the life that you are trying to build together? What is your marriage built on? We'd ask the same questions for any married couple, SSA or otherwise, right? Desire and intimacy can be cultivated with professional help and can come gradually through a lot of the healing work. We've spoken about intimacy and sex in episodes 38 and 39, so check them out when you have the chance as well. Another common question is, I discovered my spouse has a porn and masturbation addiction, or he is sexually acting out and has a sex addiction, what should I do? We have discussed this in detail in previous episodes. First of all, of course it's going to be shocking. You need to be dealing with yourself first. You need to navigate that shock, that pain, that feeling of disgust, or those difficult emotions that you are going through. And we've spoken about the five stages of grief in episode 79 and how to navigate that. You may want to go back and revisit that episode as well. I know it's tempting to blow up and make it about you. You know, how could you do this to me? Am I not good enough for you? Please try your best not to do that. If you approach this wisely and rationally, the chances of you working with your spouse and improving and helping them outgrow this would become much more realizable, inshallah. Of course, you can't do this on your own, so seek help in the process. As we've mentioned in the previous episode and earlier episodes, when we talk about any kind of addiction or harmful, self-sabotaging behaviors, all of these things are there to fill a void. They act as numbing mechanisms to soothe pain. So your spouse is actually resorting to these things because there's a void inside of him that he wants to fill. The opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it is connection, and that is very important. If you want to help your spouse overcome these issues, you have to connect with them and see what is lurking underneath the surface. They need healthy resources and healthy people that they can connect to. We've spoken about this in detail back in season 4, so I encourage you to go back to episode 55, which talks about masturbation in detail, and episodes 56 to 59. These are four episodes that are dedicated to porn and sex addictions, with lots of references and resources in them. I'm also going to add a link in the episode show notes for an episode from the podcast Coffee with Kareem about dealing with porn addiction for spouses, so make sure to check it out as well. There's so much to learn when it comes to the physiological, emotional, and the personal perspectives of addiction. You know, the techniques the techniques to demystify triggers and overcome urges and to understand more about the withdrawal period, what it includes, potential pitfalls, and mind games on the journey of healing and recovery, as well as a lot of practical tips and tools that you can use, as well as spiritual themes that we need to understand. Again, you don't have to do this alone. You need help in the process. Please seek counseling and therapy. There are lots of support systems and therapists who are available to help you and help your spouse overcome this.
It's also important to understand that while quitting porn and unwanted sexual behaviors, healing takes time. There may be periods when your spouse will take out their anger on you and their loved ones. Sometimes there might be lying, gaslighting, and other manipulative behaviors. That's not to say that everyone does that, but it can happen. It's important to educate yourself on these behavioral patterns and to consult with a specialist whenever possible. It's also helpful to practice giving verbal affirmations to your spouse, telling them how proud of them you are, how much better they're looking physically, how better they are spiritually and mentally, how more connected they seem to be, how much you love them, and so on. These affirmations can go a long way, honestly. And please keep these affirmations coming, as it's very likely that they will forget them. When they're feeling irritable, maybe from external stresses or maybe from withdrawals due to abstinence from porn or masturbation or sexual acting out, try and have open and honest communication with them where they can tell you about what they are going through if you feel comfortable and safe doing so. If not, encourage them to reach out to their support system, sponsor, or therapist. Maybe go out and enjoy your time together, do something healthy and fun together. Again, it's worth repeating here, when your spouse is doing the healing work and recovering from porn or sex addiction, it's important to have your own support system, counseling, self-care routines, and boundaries. And remember, this process does not happen overnight. Trust, proper communication, and accountability are fundamental. Once again, the issue here is one of connection, belonging, love, affirmation, time, touch, and talk, the three T's. Do not blow up in their face. Realize that they are dealing with pain. Do not exacerbate their pain or add more to it. Embrace them, love them, and move forward together in a direction that helps them heal. That's what's important here. But only if you can and have the capacity to do that. Don't feel pressured to do that. And the final point I'd like to add here is the notion of quote-unquote slips or relapses in the healing journey. You need to understand this. Whenever your spouse is stressed, feeling lonely or disconnected, touch-deprived, angry or emotionally triggered, or has encountered a moment of shame or felt inadequate and inferior, he is going to go into the so-called gray zone which is a zone of mixed emotions and an increased desire to seek numbing behaviors to quote-unquote restore the balance. And numbing behaviors can be anything from, you know, substance use like drinking, smoking, or drugs, to porn, masturbation, or acting out, binge eating, binge watching series, shopping sprees, and so on. Shaming never helps when your spouse has entered the gray zone or is about to act out or has already acted out. Shaming, judgment, and accusations only add fuel to the fire. What helps is to encourage honest communication so that you can recognize the signs of when he is in the gray zone and help him before he has a quote-unquote slip. And of course, this can be draining to do all the time. You're not a policeman or a watch guard. You have your own life to live and your own issues to deal with. Hence the need to involve support systems, mentors, sponsors, and therapists to help him here. So please keep in mind this feedback loop of, you know, trigger followed by gray zone, followed by acting out and then rinse and repeat so that you can navigate that in healthy and constructive ways, inshallah. And the last question is, I've discovered that my spouse is a survivor of sexual abuse. I'm in shock. How do I deal with that? That is understandable, and it's normal for you to feel shock and go through the stages of grief, maybe pull back unintentionally. 
You might also think that just because your spouse was a victim of sexual abuse, he might abuse others. That's not true. I encourage you to educate yourself on the topic and check out helpful resources. We have two comprehensive episodes on this topic, which are episodes 60 and 61, that talk about this entire topic from A to Z. So please check these episodes out, as well as the resources included in there. There are tons of resources that I have attached and links to websites and others. We have spoken about the impacts of sexual abuse, the barriers to healing. We talked about the path of healing from sexual abuse, as well as a lot of frequently asked questions for survivors and their loved ones. So please check them out. Check out the books and the websites that I've added in the show notes of episode 16 and 61. And please pace yourself, take care of yourself. Do not push the other person to do things or not do things, say things or not say things, and seek help if you need to. And with this, we have come to the end of today's episode, which has been dedicated to current and potential spouses. If you have any comments or questions, you can email me anytime on awaybeyondtherainbow at gmail.com. In the next episode, inshallah, Ty and Danielle Mansfield will join us and share with us their story. Until then, stay safe and healthy. This has been Wahid Jensen in Away Beyond the Rainbow. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh.